Welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and we're still in the COVID disruption episodes. And many of us during sequestration have found ourselves contemplating our health, our fitness, and all those things that we'd like to maybe tackle, those changes that we've always wanted to make in our lives. If there's a time that it feels right, it's right now because everything feels like it's changing. This is our third part of our conversation with Julia Ballard and Nathan Zettner. We're going deep in this discussion to explore that very controversial question about the individual taking accountability for their personal well-being. So let's see if we can make that mindset switch and change some of those stories we've been telling ourselves about our health and fitness with Julia Ballard and Nathan Zettner. So we're all on, man, and we've got a big conversation for today. It's a, it's a touchy subject, you know, it's about change responsibility at the individual level. I think, uh, you know, we can talk about this in a non-offensive way because we're coming from a place of like caring. We want to help people because in the end, we don't want to shut people off. We want people to listen. So I just want to get that context going for a second for this conversation, which is you guys have been on this and you've been always so transparent about your own struggles, how you work through those struggles and how you managed your health and well-being during that. And what I always admired was you guys kept yourself fit and healthy. You didn't let that side of yourself slip. Okay, maybe you didn't stay in your peak performance levels, but you really didn't shy away from the fact that you have this responsibility to care for yourself. And to me, that creates value, and I want to hear how you can contribute to this conversation. We're sitting right now in the middle of a system which it uh, finances disease, right? But it doesn't foster health, and that needs to change. I don't think it'll change at a government level or an industry level so much. I think it's going to happen at an individual level. We got to find out what our voice needs to sound like so the individual can hear and become more autonomous and take their health into their hands. But I don't want government and industry to feel that they can wash their hands of this and give it to the individual. The government and industry still have to act responsibly because they have a role to play in public health and obviously in global health. So Nathan, where do you think things are going wrong right now that the individual isn't taking accountability, say, for their physical well-being? Um, the, the big problem that I think all, all of us see is that action only comes when something goes wrong, right? So it's never planning for the future. It's never let's be fit now so that we can be fit later. It's like, oh, we'll get fit later. You know, you see like these, these, these people in their middle age have a heart attack all of a sudden when nothing had gone wrong. And all of a sudden that's like the, the red flag, you know, that's the cause for them to take action. I would agree. It definitely reflects on things that we go through today that that's kind of people's mentality. And I remember I was talking with someone and the, the general consensus of the conversation was like, don't wait until you need help to get help. Everything that you do is almost a precautionary measure so that you will not get to a point where you're in a crisis and you have to act fast and you have to kind of change everything um, in order to accommodate the things that you're going through now. I think it's important to to make it a habit 
earlier on because obviously as we get older bad habits get more difficult to break and new habits get more difficult to kind of um, manifest so I think that if we start earlier on whatever we do today will help us become better versions of ourselves tomorrow and for the rest of our lives waiting for somebody to get sick is far more costly for everybody than than fostering health right the, because the intervention is extreme once somebody gets sick i for one have been overweight in my life i've been 45 pounds overweight I was not happy with myself. I was drinking too much. I was in chronic depressed state. And there was something that happened that I, I switched. And I, I went down this health pathway and I never looked back. I stayed on that. I don't know how that happened and why I never went back to old ways. But what do you think is happening that you have people who know they might be struggling with a weight problem and a health issue, but they're still not reacting. What could be the, the underlying cause? Well, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to be in good shape, right? It's, it's, it's unpaid work. The, the only internal motivation can be to be healthy, right? It's, it's, it's like I said, it's unpaid work. And a lot of people are paying to be in shape. They're paying, trainers they're paying paying for supplements they're paying um you know in time so it's like all of these factors maybe are a little bit of a you know a roadblock for some people on the fence um i know even clients that i have have that issue it's do i work an hour and make x number of dollars or do i pay somebody to exercise with yeah. you know it's it's like a real I, I i feel like that's a real barrier for people um it's it's the effort the amount of effort if, I, if it was easy everyone would be in great shape yeah i want to like narrow it down into a, not a one demographic but there's one demographic i want to remove from say this conversation which would be i think if somebody's impoverished and living in scarcity yes we have a few outliers who take their situation into their own hands and you see these massive transformations i don't want to look at that particular outlier in a demographic i would really like to exclude say from from this this conversation, people who are living in scarcity and poverty, because yeah. there's a whole series of problems that come along with that, single moms and all kinds of things. So I would really like us to be focusing on that sort of middle area where we see statistics that could be changed but aren't getting changed. These are not easy questions. And I mean, sometimes I don't want us to, to like tippy-toe around the, the answers either because there are some things that we sometimes need to say that could be offensive, but I want to be clear, our intention is not to be offensive because we're personal trainers and we work with an overweight population. And we are mindful of how we handle them and get them in the best shape of their lives. And we do it in a caring way. So I want to be clear about that. So don't feel that you guys, you know, you have to shy away from certain answers that you would like to say. And you're, you know, you're being cautious not to offend because we're saying it right now. That is not our intention. We want people who aren't listening to listen. Now, Julia, what do you see as the biggest problem in that middle area of the population? One thing that I keep seeing coming up as, I, don't, I hate the word excuse, but essentially as an excuse is um, time. They just don't have the time. 
Um, and I think people tend to use that as a crutch and they, and they kind of take that and say, you know, well, I don't have the time to commit to this, so I can't do it. But um, there are always ways around it, even if it's like you do a 20 minute workout in your living room with no equipment, like you can get a good sweat in. Um, I think it's all about making it feasible for people and to not look at working out as a form of punishment and more as like, a, I'm doing this to better uh, myself. Because I know from my own personal experience, like I started working out like strictly for aesthetic purposes. It was really just so I could quote unquote look good, whatever that means. But then I noticed that the more that I did it, the better I actually felt internally and even mentally. So the the physical aspect of it was almost like a bonus. It was like, now I don't want to stop this because yes, for sure, like I don't want to let myself go, so to speak, but it's also because I know that if I do stop, my mental state and my emotional state are going to suffer and I know that I am not in a happy place when that happens. So I think that if, if we find ways to make it uh, more accommodating for people, the excuses will slowly start to fall away. And people, you know, it's all about finding these shortcuts, whether it's diet supplements, whether they go in for, for cool sculpting or liposuction or like whatever the case may be. But those aren't realistic long-term solutions. And in retrospect, like, sure, maybe you'll feel better because you'll feel like you look better, but liposuction isn't necessarily going to help with your with your health. You know what I mean? Right. And I think we're pretty fortunate because we live in a city where um, it's, I find it a very active city. You know, like I've been to some places in the States where, you know, there's, there's, it's not a walking city. You can't walk from point A to point B. You have to take the car. Um, and, you know, and I feel like our, our government makes an effort to, you know, we have the big sea bikes, we have the mountain, we have all of these um, places at our disposal. Um, so we're, we're very, we're very lucky in that, in that respect. So I think it's, it's mainly just people making that decision for themselves. You know, like if they have a goal and if they want it badly enough, then nothing should stand in your way. Even if you start small and then work your way to something bigger in order to get that goal. I did notice as you were talking about, I started to do this to look good. And there's always a hesitation among fit people, not all fit people, but some who are hesitant to say, I do this because I, I want to look good. And I'm of the mindset that when we adhere to certain principles of exercise and nutrition, no matter what body type you are, you know, if you're an ectomorph or a mesomorph, I believe it will still approximate you to a, a better body type that you can be more happy with, even if you can't get ultra slim. And who cares about that? You want to be closest to your most ideal body weight and body type, which approximates you to better health. Yeah, I think if, if you are working towards any fitness goal and taking the right steps, then you're going to see results aesthetically for sure. I think we see we see a lot of people start from I don't want to say zero, but you know, like let's say a lower fitness level, do kind of see those big like leaps and bounds of results early on um, because they make the little changes and then they start to feel good as a result. So yes, I think they're they come hand in hand for sure. Um, I think 
you know, for me, I started out as more of a bodybuilder type, um, doing it for the aesthetic um, side of fitness. As I shifted towards more performance-based in the CrossFit scene, um, I I don't think anything in terms of aesthetics changed. I don't think anything in terms of how I felt changed. Um, I ate the same, you know, so it's not because I was training for one that I wasn't benefiting on the other. Um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's a touchy subject, right? Because some people say, I've always been overweight, and that is true. And they may always be on the slightly overweight side. But I agree. I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier where, um, you know, people do have different body types, and some people love the fact that they aren't necessarily lean or, or thin or whatever the case may be. And I think that that's so important because it's not necessarily about being skinny. It's just about being healthy, whatever that means for your specific body type. And I think a huge part of that is, first of all, is just acceptance of your own body. Like I know for myself, my own journey, accepting the things that I don't like about my body has been such a struggle and I still struggle with it to this day, but I've slowly kind of been like, okay, well, this is a body that I've been given. It's healthy. It, it, it's, functioning like I'm and you become kind of grateful for it and you have to stop and I'm guilty of this too all the time it's so hard to break this habit but you have to stop comparing yourself to others if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people you're never going to find happiness within yourself so I think the first step is just acceptance and then um, it's just about knowing that your main goal like you know health comes above everything else mm-hmm. So it's it's about being healthy, not necessarily being skinny or thin or tiny waist, big butt, whatever. Right. I think the way to ensure against just, you know, we first we got to accept. First, we got to accept I need to change. Right. That's got to be the first thing we say to ourselves. Now, how do we change? What's my body type? How can I look? What's realistic? That's why I said in the beginning, in the the segue to this, I said, the only way to know is by adhering to principles, fundamentals in health and wellness, which is practicing good nutrition and getting out and moving and exercising. And obviously, if you can get good rest in there, that's another one. Bring in some good relationships, that's another one. You get those four elements sort of in the works now you're going to start getting a good idea of what you can be, right? Without comparison, because you're not, you're not working out comparing what other people do. You're adhering to fundamentals, principles of fitness. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, building off that, I kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of in this society where we're, we're in this kind of dangerous loop, right? Where anything you say negative or that seems derogatory towards somebody who's overweight or underweight, is automatically fat shaming or body shaming, especially coming from us. I say it with the most respect, the most concern possible that if you're underweight, you should be lifting weights, you should be putting on muscle mass, you need to be strong. If you're overweight, you should be losing weight, you should be closer to that middle point somewhere in the middle ground. It's not, I'm not telling, I don't think any fitness professional or any good fitness professional should be telling an individual to lose weight or put on muscle as a means of shaming. It's not a shaming mechanism. It's, we are, it's, it's a concern, right? You are, you are cutting your life short if you are on either extreme. 
that's just the reality. And that, that doesn't just go for somebody who's overweight in terms of fat. That goes for somebody who's, you know, overweight in terms of muscle. Somebody who's 300 pounds at five foot eight is obese. He's just obese with muscle. And probably even worse, he's, pro- he's got more capillaries running through his muscle mass. He's probably taxing his heart more, right? Whether he's using steroids or whatever it is, those people need to come somewhere back to the middle because they are cutting their life short, whether they want to believe it or not. So we're in this really tiptoe around it society where we can't say exactly what it is, where we have plus size stores, like we were saying, you know, we have all these, these now it's like the flip side of social media where it's saying you are okay fat, like you're okay physically, you know, I don't care what you look like, but you're not okay. Like that's, that's not, it's not okay to be that way because it's not okay for you. It's not okay for your kids. It's not okay for your family. Like nobody is benefiting from somebody who's overweight. And I'm not talking like 10 pounds. I'm talking about people who are obese. Like this is a, a huge health concern. And the reality of it is that right now, if you are obese, if you're dangerously overweight and you get COVID-19, you, I think mortality rate and they, they just released the stats in New York. It was like 98% of people who are obese died from COVID. So it's no joke. Like it's a huge wake up call. It should be a huge wake up call. And coming from us, it's a concern. It's not a, it's not a, it's, we're not demeaning people. We really care. And I think people need to get off their, their, this, this so-called high horse and just take advice and seek help. And really, I mean, this, if there wasn't a wake up call before, this is one, you know, and you have all these like, um, there's these fat acceptance um ambassadors i i saw this lady it's crazy she was encouraging people who were overweight to disregard what their physician said and eat what they want like how destructive and disrespectful is that they have no credibility yet they're they're influence and they have millions of followers right they're telling millions of people this and millions of people are following them because they're listening to their advice so i think as a society we need to really take a look at what we're promoting and how we're saying it and readjust because especially after all this, we need to like, we need to chill out a bit and, and, and look, you know, look at it a little bit closer. Brilliantly said he touched on a lot of stuff because you know, from being underweight and overweight, they're both dangerous. If you're underweight, you're susceptible to fractures, mineral imbalances, hormonal imbalances, not to mention what's the underlying cause of being underweight, which could be just like overweight. There could be an eating disorder as well. So they're both on the sides of the spectrum where I guarantee both sides are not adhering to the principles of good nutrition exercise, good relationships, and rest of meditation or whatever rest is. What was that, Julia could add one thing to what I, I don't want to talk about because I don't, I'm not a woman, but I think maybe you could speak to, like, kind of add on to what I was talking about um, from, like, a woman's standpoint because I think we all know that it's super important for women to be strong. They don't have the same level of testosterone. Maybe you could just, like, build on that and, you know, I don't want to, speak for the female gender because that's a whole other issue that I don't understand but maybe you can take it away and elaborate on that yeah I mean honestly I was gonna say what Sean said like you pretty much nailed it like there's not much else to add other than like um yes for for women I do believe that there is an added pressure 
women tend to struggle, not that men don't, but I think that the majority of people who struggle with eating disorders um, are are women. Eating disorders isn't just about not eating. Some, it's just about the relationship you have with food. So even people who binge, that is considered an eating disorder. Before the physical work needs to happen, the mental and emotional work has to happen first. So I think that it's important to first take care of, of your mind before taking care of your body. Because I think the two of them um, complement each other and without one, the other won't work. And like Nathan said earlier, like it's, it's important to realize that speaking as someone who is in the position that we are in as personal trainers, I think for a lot of us, we got into this in- industry because we want to help people. We want to, we want to guide people. We don't want to, well, we can't do the work for you, but we're there as a tool for you to use if you have questions, if you, if you need guidance, if you need help, whatever the case may be. So we always have our clients' best interests at heart. And whatever we do, we do with them in mind. And I think it's something gets almost misconstrued in that translation because people tend to look at personal trainers and, you know, just think that like all we care about is just, you know, let's let's lift heavy, let's be strong, let's let's get thin, you know, and it's it's not it's not about that. Like it's it's just about the health. It's just about the health. You know, many of us have become personal trainers or in the fitness industry because we have our own personal journey. My journey was so profound and affected me in so many ways that I wanted to share it with other people. I wanted somebody who was telling themselves stories of being overweight, that they've tried everything that I'm like, no, man, look, I did this. I did it. I was there. I tried running every day to the point that I ruined my knees and I lost like one pound in two weeks because I wasn't changing my nutrition. So for me to change that body I had, like you just said, Julie, I had to change my mindset. There was so much that I had to change, but it's proof that it could be done. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely proof. And it's cool to see that I think like a lot of women specifically, there was this misconception of if you lift weights, you're going to get bulky. And I've been seeing it more and more that women are kind of like distancing distancing themselves from that. Mm -hmm. And they're less afraid to pick up the heavier weights now because they know that like, well, I think women, they, they want to feel empowered and, and, and just, it makes them feel strong and it's such a great feeling. And, um, and they're realizing that if you lift heavy weights, you're not going to get bulky. But even if, if that is your goal, then you're probably going to have a different diet. You're going to lift heavy and then have a different diet compared to someone who is just looking to, to tone up or, or whatever the case may be. So it's cool to see that, that change because yeah. that's been a huge misconception over the years. Like I have, I have an example. There's a there's a lady who reached out to me. Um, I don't know where she. I guess she saw, saw me on social media. She probably had about about a hundred pounds to lose. Okay, so she was, you know, she needed help. She really needed help. And so I started asking her questions. So what what's your diet like? And she's like, oh, I I skip breakfast and I eat like you know like a a salad at lunch and I have like a smoothie for dinner. So she's basically consuming like, you know, 700 <laughs> calories max during the day, right? Desperately, you know, um, desperately in need of help in that category. She says, oh, I, I tried these like diet pills, 
like, I can't remember what they were, but basically like relied on diet pills for a month. And she's like, if they can't help me, nothing can, you know? And I was like, have you done any exercise? She's like, no. So there's this, (laughs) it's like, okay, so here's what we need to do, right? Like I laid it out for her and she didn't like that answer. She didn't like my answer that you're going to have to exercise X number of times, right? You're going to have to do all of these things. So there's, there's that kind of like loops back to what we were saying about, you know, people are kind of hesitant to take action because of these roadblocks. So when you really map it out, there's, you know, so many things that go into it for you to get from point A to point Z, right? You got to go through all the letters, point A, point B, point C, you know, it's like little goals, little steps. And she hated that. I was out with my wife for a run this morning and we were just going, you know, we were just talking about the the sort of journey of, of fitness and health. And it's quite interesting that it's actually riddled with failures, right? So my wife said, yeah, that's why, oh, actually my point was we took two fire hydrants and I said, let's lunge from this fire hydrant to the next fire hydrant, which ended up being a total of per leg, 103 lunges. So 206 lunges. And I didn't think my wife, Annabelle, would make it. So I said, well, why don't we shorten it? She said, no, no, let's do that. And we did it. And she did it. And I was so excited. And, I, and she said, you see, this is why you need to put very clear goals, landmarks in front of you, small goals at a time that you can kind of see you're like, yeah, man, I could do this. I could get to that fire hydrant. It's like every goal in our fitness journey needs to be like that fire hydrant goal. I think it's important to create goals that are going to be attainable for people because if you create a goal that they can't see, <laughs> then then it's going to be incredibly discouraging. And I've noticed that with a lot of my clients, when I give them, for example, like a certain amount of reps or a certain amount of time to do an exercise, and then I notice that they're getting tired. They're, they're not going to want to quit because they're like, no, like I can do this. It's like they almost put their trust in me or in us that if we ask something of them, it's because we know that they can do it. It's not supposed to be easy. Like I was training my mom the other day and, and, and she was like, oh, like, why can't I do this? It's so hard. And it's like, it's, I'm not giving something that's going to be easy. What, what would be the point of that? Like it's going to challenge you, but I know that you can do it. I know that you can do it. And then she does it and they all do it. And you know what? If you can't do it this time, let's try it again next week. Like it's not, and that's where people get so discouraged and they end up just giving up before they've even started. You know, it's like, like Nathan said earlier, like if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And you said this once, Nathan, I want you to talk a little bit about this. You said that, that, Okay, yes, acknowledging what I just said, small immediate goals will get us to the big goal. But you talked once about the importance of having that big, big goal that puts the wind in your sail. You need both. Um, you, can't, you, you can't just set one without the other because if you have a small goal it's, and you know, there's nothing after that, then the goal is done, then you feel complete. You need to never feel like you've finished, right? That's the point. That's the lifestyle. That's the whole purpose of training and being healthy forever is that it's forever, right? You adopt that, you adopt that and you make that promise to yourself. So the flip side, if you don't have, if you have the big goal, like I want to go to the CrossFit Games, great. Like, how are you going to get there? 
you know, I'm going to train every day. Great. The more detailed you can be, the more successful you're going to be long term. Um, and that's where having a coach comes in because somebody who wants to do it on their own is going to have to do all of that on their own. Somebody who hires someone is going to have us to do that for them, right? Map it out. You don't have to think about it. You just have to walk in and execute. So that, there's so many things that come into, into play when you're talking about like success for whether it be a long-term goal, a short-term goal. Our job is to create manageable goals um, that lead to the, the, the long-term end game. Right. Now, okay. Julia, we have somebody sitting at home right now. They have, they have 30 pounds to lose. They won't say it straight up, but they're unhappy with how they look. They have the time, but say they don't. Enough money that they're not living in scarcity, and they're tired all the time, and yet we need to get that individual fired up. I would just say to choose one minor thing that you're going to change or add to your daily routine and then build off of that. So maybe if you're someone who is not familiar with physical activity, maybe it's going for a 20 minute walk after dinner every night. That could be the first step for you. Maybe it's when you're watching TV, when a commercial comes on, you do 20 squats. Just something minor that'll just start to get your body moving and to almost like kickstart yourself to then after doing that for maybe a week, then you add another element to it. And it's not about, you know, like when we talk about striving for more and to keep keep climbing, it's not about like never being satisfied. It's almost about you want to get yourself excited. Like, wow, I accomplished this. What else can I do? So I think that it's important to just like we've been saying this whole time is just creating those those minor steps for ourselves that are going to, le- that are going to lead us to the ultimate goal, making them feasible, making them attainable making them visible for yourself so that it's, it's encouraging and motivating instead, instead of intimidating. Nathan, I'm a couch potato, man. Get me fired up. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to take the cheesy approach and give you any like, uh, you know, corny metaphors, uh, meta- <laughs> metaphors or anything like that. But Maybe I respond to them. <laughs> yeah. You, you, honestly, you honestly can do it. Like, I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of people look at us as fitness professionals who have the luxury of sitting in a workout kind of at various different locations throughout the city. Um, you know, I'm not asking you to train four hours a day. I'm asking you to train for 30 minutes to an hour. Um, you know, start instilling, like Julie said, small habits, doing little things that are going to make the big difference. And over time, you know, you're, you're going to drop the pounds. You're going to put on the muscle. Um, listen, time is going to pass anyway. You might as well get in better shape while you're waiting. Nathan, do you believe I can do it? Do you believe no matter what my state of condition and mental state of mind is, do you believe I can do it? hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Um, you are like, uh, like, yeah, I'm a couch potato. Yeah. Just imagine, (laughs) I imagine that I'm that couch potato. There have been, I don't know, countless number of people exactly like that couch potato. Um, I have gone through my own journey. I was never fat, but I was super insecure, right? Growing, going through high school. I mean, 
I'll be the first to admit that fitness was initially an athletic endeavor to, to, to put on some size for, for soccer. But, you know, once I started to get the compliments, I mean, I just like you, I just wanted to share that feeling with other people. My confidence is up and I, I feel better now than I did then. And I think everyone should have the opportunity to feel that way. I think also, you know, you, you can hire trainers, you can hire coaches. Obviously, we do believe in you. But I think the real test and the real question is, do you believe in yourself? Do you believe that you can do it? Oh, I like that. How do you get somebody, Julia? Okay, I'm on, I'm that couch potato. I'm sitting there. I got chips on my shirt. I'm watching TV. I'm waiting for the next show to come on. And uh, I'm like, uh, no, man. Like, I, I, I tried. I tried. I, I tried. I can't do this. It, you, it just sounds cheesy. <laughs> but it's just like you, you, you can't give up you have to keep trying you're not going to always succeed on your first try showing up is half the battle you show up you give it your best if you don't succeed try it again until you do yeah but nathan i got a knee pain man i got low back pain my doctor said i can't train for six months like you know man i got a herniated disc oh man you're making it tough here um, yeah, Sean. <laughs> I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit more. I'm not. I don't want to say pessimistic. I don't take a pessimistic approach, but I, I fully believe that the 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 right steps are going to come when the person is intrinsically motivated. I can give you every piece of advice. I mean, I I have a long list of people who I have approached, tried to convince, and I have a list of people who I tried to convince that that initially said I don't want to have anything to do with fitness, and now are fully in love with fitness. So there has to be, I think we're facilitators, right? We, we can take you from the starting line to the finish line, but you have to like, you know, put on your running shoes, man. You have to like do some of the work you have to get, you have to, you have to have the will to do, right? And, and even you don't need to know how to do, we know how to do, you need the will to do, right? So I think you need to take that first step Get off the couch, dust off the potato chips, and, um, and you know, walk out the door and, and find somebody that knows what they're doing. I'm always impressed at how you both take, I present the, the argument of the day, and you bring it right around. Like I said, we can't wait for government and industry to step in. This is not a top-down model. This, is a, this has to start at the individual. And like you just said, Nathan, you got to put on the damn shoes. Like it doesn't matter if you even can hire a trainer. You've got to get in action. At the end of the day, like it all rides on you and yourself and what you want to make of yourself. There's no getting around it. it the individual yeah. must take action and take accountability for their own life. As tough as that is, that's the hardest step to take because now you know it's all about you. And I think once people adhere to that and take that full responsibility, they'll find their goals. So listen, guys, this was number three in our, from our COVID coaches. That's your guys' new title, COVID <laughs> Coaches Corner, the three C's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So listen, we'll uh, set up our next one. And I want to thank you guys for this awesome conversation. And we're going to bang out some more of these. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. Awesome. All right, guys, you have an awesome day, man. You Take too. care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.